Welcome to First Line. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and I am a student doctor in my last year of medical school. First Line brings listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness through an osteopathic lens. First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, how to succeed in medical school, and various topics in healthcare, including mental health, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Hello everyone. I don't know what I'm going to name this episode yet, but this is going to be an episode talking about how to decide what programs to apply to for residency. So this episode is especially important for third-year students and early fourth-year students, but it can also be helpful for students a little bit earlier because it's never too early to start thinking of this. I definitely, definitely starting in like the first and second year of medical school, I had conversations with my husband about what cities he wanted to move to for residency um, because obviously wherever I match, he'll have to go with. So it was important for me um, since he since he also works, that he would have job opportunities wherever we landed and that, you know, it would be a city that he would want to live in. So you can always have those conversations really early, but I think by the time you're a third year, especially, you can really start thinking about your specialty choice uh, and factor that into the decision of not only just what what cities and what regions to apply to, but also like how many programs to apply to and how to decide on specific programs. Like like if you decide that you can safely apply to 50 programs, then how are you going to choose those 50 programs in a region that has over 100 programs? Or maybe you really don't have a geographical preference. Uh, maybe you're just applying across the country, and maybe academic prestige is more important to you. Maybe research opportunities are more important to you. So then you're looking at even more programs that you have to filter through based off of your needs. So I think this episode is going to be helpful to help give you things to think about and also very tangible things that you can start working on now. So I just went through this process last year. It was around this time of year last year that I was basically finalizing my list, at least half of my list. And then I actually had an advisor tell me that I needed to double how many programs I was applying to because psychiatry was getting so competitive. It was something that I was certainly thinking about and I started my spreadsheet and I'll talk also about what I included in my spreadsheet and how I organized everything because I think that is super helpful to be organized and be on top of comparing programs so that when the time comes when you're deciding which ones to interview at because a lot of people limit the number of interviews they take to maybe 20. Some people do less if they feel comfortable. And then also when you're making your rank list, being organized ahead of time really helps because then you can really have like a running rank list as you interview uh, so that by the time that 
ranking comes, you're really just reviewing what you already have. Okay, so the first thing that you're going to think about, and I alluded to this, is location. So you may need to involve your significant other in the conversation like I had to. Sometimes they'll already have a job when you're in medical school, so maybe for you, you actually want to stay in the same city as you go to for medical school, especially if you also have kids that are in school and you don't really want to move them, then that might be what's important to you. For other people, maybe you moved away from family for medical school and you want to move back and be around family. That's certainly what I sort of decided. And then you can think about if you want a city, urban versus rural. Maybe you want more of that rural experience. So that's really something that um, is up to you. And I think most applicants apply to a mixture of all of those things. So you, you don't really need to decide urban versus rural. I think you're always going to encounter underserved populations. It's just deciding if you want more of those rural areas where there's not a ton of hospitals nearby or if you want those lower economic areas in the cities um, and treat those populations. So it's really just a preference there. So another thing on rural versus urban, rural areas actually are better when it comes to seeing more diverse pathology because think about it, it means you get to see everything. In urban areas, there tends to be one institution or two that get all the rare pathologies, which is great if you end up at one of those institutions, but not so great if you're at a neighboring one. Of course, some rural areas have small hospitals that don't have the resources for the rare pathology, and they'll have to send patients elsewhere, but the real goldmine is going to be the rural hospital that supports a wide area and does have the resources to treat those patients. This is especially true of the primary care specialties if you are not surrounded by top specialists in an academic hospital in a city, you are more likely to see more and do more, which is especially important if you want to learn full-spectrum family medicine or if you want to do a lot of procedures in IM or EM. So that kind of leads into training opportunities. So that's the other factor that you want to take into consideration once you narrowed down your region. I should say before I go into training opportunities with programs, you can go to the NRMP website and look at the list of programs by state if you look at the data reports. It will be listed as the results and data main residency match. Um, so that's a way that you can see all of the programs, but that's really only the programs that participated in the year prior. If you want the full list, you have to go to acgme.org, click on the institution and program finder, hit program search, and then choose your specialty. And then you can search by state and it will give you the full list and it will even give you the option of viewing the program and it gives you like the website and an email if you want to ask questions it gives you who the program director is and the program coordinator uh, the program coordinator is going to be your really your first line contact and it'll tell you if 
they're fully accredited or in the pre-accreditation process. You can sort it by that too, or you can just look at all of the programs. You can also look specifically at the programs that have osteopathic recognition, if that's important to you. So that's going to be how how you can see what what is out there. So for example, um, for psychiatry, there's over 300 programs in the country. And unless you, you have a ton of red flags on your application, you're probably not going to apply to all of those programs. So that's why you have to kind of select where where would be a good fit for you. And you should never apply to a program if you would be devastated if you ended up there. So you really do need to filter down. I think location is probably the easiest filter to put on because you can actually sort by state. So you can choose a few states that you would be interested in going to or a few city centers that you're interested in applying to and you can count them up and if it's still over what you think you can realistically apply to, then you can start thinking about these other factors too. But these other factors are much more labor-intensive as far as researching the programs and figuring out what they offer. So that brings me to the, to the next thing after location is the training opportunities that are, that are there. They're going to differ a little bit, but programs are accredited so that they have to offer certain opportunities to be accredited in that specialty. So that's going to differ by specialty. And it does help to look up the accreditation requirements in your specialty so that you know what the bare minimum is. You know what all programs are going to have. So you don't really need to ask programs about certain things. Like, for example, with psychiatry, you need... You need to have at least six months of non-psychiatry rotation, so that is required to be at least two months of neurology and four months of something else, which is usually internal medicine, uh, family medicine, sometimes pediatrics, sometimes emergency medicine, or a combination of a few of them. So, I'm not going to really be keeping track of the programs that have neurology rotations because they're all going to have at least two months of neurology rotations. I can make a special note if a program has three months for instead of the bare minimum of two months, but they're all probably going to have, they're all going to have at least two months, so that's not really something you would want to compare too much. So that's just an example, something good to know so that you're not focusing on something that they're all going to have in common. And then if you know what they're required to have, then when you're reading about a program, you'll perk up when something is different from the bare minimum. And that's what you take note of. Another example is family medicine with obstetrics. Some family medicine residents don't want to practice obstetrics long term. So they might be looking for the programs that have the bare minimum, but if you do want to practice obstetrics, then you would want to look for a program that goes above and beyond in it, asking them the number of deliveries that residents typically perform. 
and look for more of that full spectrum training. So find out what those differences are for your specialty and keep track as you research these programs, which ones offer those additional opportunities. Another thing you're going to be looking for is fellowship opportunities at the same institution or at the same hospital. And this is really only if you are interested in fellowship. And this is especially important if you are in internal medicine and you want to have a fellowship in something like cardiology, gastroenterology, any of those fellowships within internal medicine. And even if you're not fully decided on fellowship, it's worth it to see which programs have those in-house fellowships or fellowships at least in the same city so that you have the opportunity to pursue fellowship without having to move. If you don't care about moving, then this doesn't really matter. But having the in-house fellowship, so the fellowship at the same institution where you do residency, helps to increase your chances of matching into fellowship because they'll know you better and you can start working on on that networking and connections while you're in residency. And if the program doesn't have a certain fellowship, you should at least look at the alumni, find the list of alumni. A lot of residency program websites will have a page where they tell you where alumni have ended up, whether they went to work for this hospital or they started fellowship and see how many residents went into the fellowship that you want to go into. Uh, Not necessarily the specific program of fellowship, but just the type of fellowship that you're interested in. Because that means that the program has enough support that they are helping residents match into fellowship. And if your fellowship isn't that popular, at least see if residents are pursuing fellowship. If I'm often asked about what question banks to use to study for medical school board exams, and I always recommend TrueLearn. TrueLearn helped me score competitively on Comlex Level 1 and Level 2, shelf exams, and the USMLE Step 1 and Step 2. And I'm currently using their question bank to study for Level 3. I love TrueLearn's practice questions because they include detailed answer explanations and comprehensive analysis of how you're doing compared to your past progress and compared to your peers. I am so happy that FirstLine has partnered with TrueLearn. For a discount on your subscription, use the link in the episode description and use code FIRSTLINE at checkout. F-I-R-S-T-L-I-N-E. One word, no spaces, no capitalization. You want to do fellowship and all of the residents are going into private practice after they finish residency, then it might not be the best program for you. I am now providing personalized assistance specifically to medical students. I can help with editing your CV for away rotations or other opportunities. I can aid in revisions for your personal statement. And when the time comes, I can help you edit your ERAS application. I will catch your grammar and style mistakes and also provide feedback on content revision so you can craft documents that make you more competitive. 
There are so many expensive services out there that charge hundreds to thousands of dollars on reviews, which is why I am offering a much more affordable service with different price packages based on your needs. While many services out there are led by staff members who are years to decades removed from their experience as medical students, I am uniquely positioned to help you as someone who has been through this process myself in the last year or two and as someone with professional writing and editing experience. This is the type of service I wish was available to me. I know what it takes to make you stand out and I know what residency programs are looking for. In addition to listening to my past episodes with tips on navigating applications, use the link in this episode description to learn more about the services I offer for individualized help. In addition to these editing services, you can add on a brainstorming session or a strategy session if you are lost and want to talk one-on-one with me about strategy or how to approach your personal statement. I also have an option right now with opting for one day delivery that's a 24-hour turnaround for any review that you need okay so the next few things are going to be things that you're going to have to dig a little bit into the program websites or you might have to wait until open houses start up typically they start up in like August, September, so right before ERAS is due. So then you can save those questions, um, especially to ask residents. And if you do know residents at programs, you can also like email them at any time and, and ask. So one thing is the hours. So if you care about work-life balance, the hours that you put in each week is going to be the best way to compare programs. And this doesn't mean that you are hoping to do the bare minimum to finish residency because programs that overwork you will also leave you with little time to actually learn. So more hours isn't always a good thing. I don't think there is such a thing as having too few hours each week that you aren't learning. So don't be afraid of that. You're always going to be learning. So when you see the number of hours that a program has, you can do the math. Subtract from 168 the number of hours a week, and then subtract the commuting time that you estimate for yourself. Then subtract how many hours of sleep you'd like to get. And then subtract whatever other obligations you might have and see what you're left with at the end of each day. I'll take a second to talk about there are websites like Frida and Residency Explorer, I do recommend using those websites, but they do have hours listed that I'm not sure if they're accurate. So it, it really does help to hear firsthand from residents how many hours a week they're typically putting in. You can also figure this out too by like asking what a typical day looks like. Usually the resident will give you what time they go in and what time they usually leave. And then you can just ask about the call schedule and add those hours on. So that brings me to call schedules. So many programs will actually list these on their websites. This is the number one question you'll want to ask current residents when you go to open houses or when you get a hold of their emails. These call schedules can vary drastically between programs in the same specialty. 
You also want to pay attention to when programs have like 24-hour shifts. I'd argue that a program could have enough positives that could outweigh the negative of having intense calls, but call is pretty important because it can drastically change the number of hours a week that you're putting in, and a lot of times call can just be stressful instead of educational. So you'll also want to find out what a program means by call. It could just mean that you are really on call, that you're on standby if something comes up. Often, that's going to be call that's overnight, which means that you can sleep if nothing is happening and you can be working when something is happening. Or it can mean that you're truly on the whole time that you're on call, that it really just means that you're working outside of normal hours. And when you're looking at this, try to figure out if you prefer to have call every X number of days or if you prefer a program that has a night float system where you would only be responsible for overnights for a week or two at a time instead of flip-flopping your schedule. There are also short calls and long calls. So make sure you're asking what they mean by a long call so that you can compare programs that both have long call. Same thing with short call. And typically short call is going to just be a little bit more of the evening hour. So if you typically get out at five, it might be like a five to 10 short call. Also pay attention to the policy of going in the day after a night of call. Some programs will give you the next day off. Some programs will give you the next half day off. Some programs won't give you any time off at all. So I found in my experience that for the most part, because there are exceptions to this, community programs have the best call schedules, whereas more academic programs that are likely to have more research and more teaching exposure, they're going to have worse call schedules typically. That's why people who don't care about research or teaching or having a career in academics should absolutely consider community programs and completely forget about the idea of prestige because it's probably not going to matter in your career. And that brings me to prestige. So this only has the chance of mattering if you want to impress someone on match day or if you really do want to be the expert in a field and have an academic career. Otherwise, it's going to have very little, if any, effect on your employment opportunities after residency. Instead of prestige, focus on connections. Maybe you really want to live in a certain city, so the most well-known institution or prestigious institution in that city may make a difference to get you the opportunities you want in that city. For the most part, prestige does correlate with the quality of education, but that's not always true. An example of this is that there are a ton of satellite programs that are somewhat remotely affiliated with a prestigious institution, so they'll bear the name of the program or of the medical school, but in reality, they have little to no connection with the institution, so this is prestige without the quality. A way to look into this is to always ask faculty or the program director of the program what their affiliation looks like and how it impacts residents. So be wary of programs that label themselves as branch campuses or 
just a popular choice for students to do away rotations instead of that home rotation site. Also know that if it is one of several programs affiliated with a medical school, many of those resources are likely to go to the home program that is closest to the core site for the medical school. Let me know that you like First Line. If you are listening on Spotify, tap the star to rate the show. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, scroll down and tap to rate or write a review. Thank you so much for your support. So next up to think about is rotation locations. So try to find a list of the hospitals or clinics you would be rotating at. Pay attention to if all of the rotations are at the same hospital or if there are multiple locations. Try to figure out if that variety of exposure sounds appealing to you or if you would prefer having the same commute every day. Some programs may require much more travel, which could also become a factor in your decision. I've seen programs that have rotation locations up to two hours away from each other, so that's going to be a lot of commuting. Next thing to think about is resident wellness. Some programs have Instagrams, which are a great way to get a feel for the culture of a program, but everyone knows much of what you see on social media is made to look better than it really is, or it's actually completely fake. So I'd pay more attention to how residents act at open houses and other events, including interview day. It's a red flag if they look burnt out, of course. It's a red flag if they hesitate in telling you their favorite thing about the program or what makes the program unique, which should always be your first question that you ask uh, during these sessions. Also, try to read their body language and tone of voice instead of just the words they say. They might be trying to cover up how stressed they are. Also, ask them questions about what they do for fun because it's going to be a red flag if they have no hobbies since they overwork themselves so much. Ask if the services are resident run or attending run. So resident run sounds like it would be a good thing when you first hear it, but that really just means that residents are being used for cheap labor and the program is a workhorse program. This means if a resident calls out sick, another resident has to cover, whereas attending run means that things would run smoothly even if there were no residents there. This is what you want. So that means you can truly learn and you can still contribute, but it takes off the pressure that you actually are needed for things to function properly. Another thing I wanted to mention was salary. A lot of people obsess over the salary of different residency programs and compare them, but please don't take salary to be a main factor for you in choosing programs. When you standardize the salaries based on the cost of living in the area, they all fall so close to each other that it's really a negligible difference. There may be some exceptions to this, but you should really just perk up to extreme outliers, like more than $10,000 differences within the same city. Then you can take that into consideration. Um, There's really wide discrepancies between New York City programs, and that's really the only one that I can think of. Otherwise, typically, it's going to go with the cost of living in the area. You can follow First Line on Instagram at First Line Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash First Line Podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode every Monday.